Well, good morning, Spring Valley Baptist, and welcome to our 10th week of our virtual worship experience together. It's also uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we've uh, had a video tribute to our veterans and those who have fought to preserve our freedom, and uh, we appreciate that so much. And so another salute uh, to you on this Memorial weekend. Uh, it's just difficult for me to, to, to grasp the reality that uh, we've been having to, to worship together virtually uh, for, for 10 weeks. That's just so, so difficult for us to imagine. So many things have changed over uh, these last uh, 10 weeks. So many things changing rapidly and some things that will change that will never be the same again. It can be an exciting time as we look towards the future as well. But we just need to continue to pray that this virus thing can, can stop, that God will intervene and stop this thing and uh, give wisdom and guidance to our leaders uh, and also help to, to discover a, a vaccine or some kind of cure for it. But as we have uh, gone through the virtual experience of worship, we've maintained uh, our schedule of having the, the sermon uh, at our worship time at 9.30, introduced uh, the topic for our life group study that will follow after that. And so we were only three weeks into that schedule that we began March 1st when we had to, had to be shut down and, and go to quarantine and keep our social distancing and had to close the church. And so we had to work, begin to worship uh, virtually. So we still maintain that process though. And uh, the sermon introduces the concept of what will be the lesson studied in the life group. Now, uh, a lot of our, our groups are meeting by Zoom and uh, unfortunately uh, worldwide, Zoom had some kind of problem Sunday morning. I think they were overloaded was the word that I got an explanation for that. And I just thought, wouldn't it be great if the problem that Zoom had that they were overloaded was because so many groups of people, Christians, were uniting around the world studying the Bible, studying God's Word together. That it would give problems to Zoom. I know of one class at least that then shifted from Sunday morning since they couldn't get on to, and met on a Monday night. So we've had to make all kinds of adjustments during this time. But the one thing that we haven't changed is that we are still introducing the concept that will be here in the sermon and the worship time that will be the topic of discussion in the life group on Sunday and then your study throughout the week and we seek to see you grow more in that discipleship process. Uh, this is our next to last week in the subject messy relationships and each week in this for six weeks we'll look at a word that is a characteristic trait of what a Christian should have so that we can either avoid getting into some of these messy relationships or we will have the capability of then clearing up some of those messy relationships. Now the word for today is the word yield. But as I began to, to pour over the study here in Philippians, I, the, the two words humility uh, and, and unity were the words that came to mind more and more than any other word. But, but then it came to me that then if we yield to the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, then we will live with humility. And when we all experience humility, then that brings us to that place of unity. And so we're going to be talking about uh, yielding, and humility and unity. Now the Apostle Paul loved, dearly loved this church in Philippi. He established it on one of his missionary journeys and he had a, a great love relationship with him. And that's, uh, that's so evident all the way through uh, this letter to the, to the Philippians. But he wrote to them to enhance their experience about unity. Uh, it, was, it was a call for them to respond to the, to the need to being united 
in the, in, the, in the Spirit of God. Now, when you think about the word unity and the definition for it, right, you, you might find the dictionary saying something about unity is the state of being united. And that doesn't tell us a whole lot about that. You really have to experience unity to get the full force of it rather than just listening to a definition of it. It, it kind of reminds me of the word kiss. You ever read the dictionary definition of a kiss? In some places it goes like this. A kiss is a compression of the closed cavity of the mouth with a slight sound when the rounded contact of the lips with another is broken. Now, that doesn't sound very exciting, does it? But if you are a kisser and the, or a kissee, you will know that a kiss is a whole lot different and has a whole lot more experience and power behind it than just simply that dictionary definition. You've got to experience it to know what it's really like. And only when we experience unity can we accept and understand the beauty and the wonder and the necessity then of unity. Unity uh, that we find and we're talking about here in the book of Philippians and all the way through the Bible then is a, is a gift of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and this unity then is to be prized, is to be sought, is to be guarded at all costs. Because when unity is lost it is so difficult to regain it once again. The Apostle Paul understood that truth well. He loved this church at Philippi. He had many relationships there. He referenced some of them in the letter. But he also knew that underneath the surface of that church that there were some cracks in, the, in that Philippian fellowship. And so he knew that if they were not repaired soon or that ultimately there would be great cracks in, in the congregation and the fellowship and the life and ministry of this church in Philippi. And so like any good builder, the Apostle Paul wanted to repair those cracks while they were still small and, and then be able to establish that spirit of unity once again. That's why in, in, in Philippians 4, 2, Paul would encourage two women to sit, seek the guidance of the Lord and be united once again. He wrote and he said in Philippians 4.2, I plead with you, Odiah, and I plead with Sintichi to agree with each other in the Lord. He encouraged them to get together and, and, and seek the Lord's presence because obviously they had a messy relationship and they needed to restore that spirit of unity and let God work through them to do that. It's interesting that Sintrachi, whose name means blessing, was being more of a blister than a blessing, and Uodiah, whose name means sweet fragrance, was stinking up the church. But they were called out by Paul, and they were called out because they were creating disunity in the church, and Paul urged them to get together and through the Lord reestablish the spirit of unity. Now, when we're talking about unity, uh, I, I want to make a distinction between being united and having unity. They're two different things. It can be. Uh, one of the things I like to watch on, on television when I have time is some of the reality shows about, about life uh, in, in Alaska. Uh, not Bush people because I don't think that one's real, but I like some of the, uh, the Last Frontier and some of the other ones, Life Below Zero and uh, all, all of that. So, uh, I, I've done some work in lo looking at something about, about life up there in Alaska. And I read something interesting. A difference between Alaskan horses and Alaskan donkeys, and these are the ones that kind of run free, that when they encounter hostility, they respond in similar but at the same time different ways. 
When a predator is trying to attack a herd of the Alaskan horses, they form a circle. They come together in unity and they form a circle. But they do so with their heads inside the circle and their hind legs sticking out. And when the predator approaches, they're able to kick the predator away. Donkeys, on the other hand, when they are approached by a predator, they also get in a circle. They form unity. But instead of having their heads inside the circle, they put their heads outside the circle, their hind legs are inside the circle, and oftentimes they end up kicking themselves to death. See, God doesn't want us to act like these donkeys. He wants us to be uh, uh, like the horses, that we experience unity where we are protected and where we can protect the spirit of, the, uh, of unity in our church. Any church, in, in the life of any church, to be effective in fulfilling its, its God-given mission and vision in, in reaching the community and making disciples for Christ has to be united through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, with that in mind and that introduction, let's look at the, the Scripture for today out of the introduction to the second chapter. We'll look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 and hear what the Apostle Paul has to say to us then about this whole concept about unity in the life of the church. He says in verse, in verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider each others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, what does Paul say to us here in this, in this introduction to chapter 2 about the unity in the life of our church? Well, first of all, he points out to us the, the ready resources that we have for unity. The resources for unity. Verse 1, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... See, those ifs there in verse 1 express truths about the Philippians that they would quickly agree with. They would say, yes, they had been encouraged by their union with, with Christ. They would say, yes, they have experienced God's love. They would say, yes, they have enjoyed the fellowship with God's Spirit. And they would say, yes, they have received an outpouring of, of mercy from God. And so Paul then is saying, well, in that light, it shouldn't be such a great thing to ask of you that you maintain the unity that God has given to you. So when we look at who we are in Christ, the basis of our unity, and since we have encouragement from being united with Christ, then we are united in or we are united with Jesus Christ our Lord. And there is comfort in that because He loves us and we have fellowship with the Spirit, and because there is tenderness and compassion that forms the basis of our unity. We don't create unity in the life of our church. Only the Holy Spirit of God can create that spirit of unity, but we are called upon to maintain that spirit of unity. So, if we don't create it, how do we get that spirit of unity? Well, it comes from the Holy Spirit. 
And this is what Jesus prayed for us in this great prayer in John chapter 17, verse 23. Jesus said, I in them, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, what Jesus is saying is, in this prayer that he's offering to God is, he's praying that we as the church, his disciples, his followers, will be united through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason for it is so that the world will see that we are united and that we represent God and that the power of the Holy Spirit is alive and work within our family of faith. You see, the world is used to so much fighting and bickering and arguing that when they see the church body united in the Spirit of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, the world is going to want to stop and take notice of who we are and what we're doing. So it's the Holy Spirit that creates this spiritual unity in the body of Christ. And that's why we are called to be joined together in the unity of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, 2, the Apostle Paul would write and say, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's interesting that the word Paul uses there, charging us to keep the, the unity of the Spirit, is a picture, a word picture of a Roman soldier on sentry duty guarding something very valuable. Well, we have something very valuable to guard, too, in the life of our church, and that is our spiritual unity. See, as, as members of the, of the family of faith and the body of Christ, known as Spring Valley Baptist Church, we are not to allow anything to destroy the unity that we have through the Holy Spirit. We are to stand on guard. We are to be on watch. And Paul explains why that unity in Ephesians 4 verses 5 through 6. He reminds us that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now that's a lot of ones. But the reality is, is that when you and I become a Christian, when we become a believer in Jesus, when we become a follower of Christ, then the Holy Spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. And we don't have to work to create the unity, but that unity is created by the Holy Spirit of God. But as believers, we are called then to maintain, to watch over, to guard that spirit of unity. That's, uh, that's our resources for unity. And the fact that we have experienced all this oneness through the presence of God in our life and being united through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the second thing Paul points out about uh, this call to unity is, is the, the requirements for unity. The requirements for unity. Alright, the, the requirements for unity that, that Paul talked about are really spelled out in verse 2 where he says, then make my joy complete. That follows the ifs that he talks about. If you've experienced this, if you've experienced this, experienced this, these says, then in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being one in spirit and purpose. Now, in that one verse, Paul gives us a, a threefold requirement for unity. First of all, we have to have a shared mind. Paul says we need to be like-minded. Being like-minded is developed around um, what we believe and, and unity is maintained what, with what we believe to be strong and sound doctrine, such as uh, the pre-existence of God, uh, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And of course, the pre-existence of, of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the perfect life of Jesus Christ that He lived, uh, the perfect and complete authority of the Bible, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for our sins, the bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead, salvation by faith through grace alone, and then the personal return of Jesus Christ. Those are fundamental truths that we believe and they unite us in the church. They unite us spiritually. They are the basics of our Christian faith. Now there are some other things that the Scripture talk calls disputable matters. And that's where seemingly the Scripture is not absolutely crystal clear or it might be silent on some of these issues in our culture. And so we have to have wisdom to make wise choices. Now that is the study for next week's focus in our life groups and our, and our message that I'll be bringing to you. And that's going to present a great challenge because that creates a whole lot of, of space there when we talk about these disputable matters. It gets into habits and actions and things in the Christian life. Should a person who knows Christ do this or do that or do we have freedom to do that and do this? We'll talk about that next week. But for this week uh, we're talking about having a, a shared mind. Then he, secondly he says we need to have a shared heart and that means having the same love. And that, of course, talks about how we love one another. If we are united through the Spirit of Christ, then we should love one another. Love was the first word that was introduced to us as a character trait of a believer that will stop some of the messy relationships we find ourselves in. And we looked at what, John, what Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 through 35 to His disciples. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, that's where we have the same heart, the same love, a shared heart. That we love one another as he has loved us. And so then that others will know that God loves us and loves them as well. Then the third thing that he says uh, for our unity is we must have a shared soul. And that's expressed in the word being one in spirit and purpose. The Greek literally means same souled. It has the idea of such deep unity that our souls are unanimous in their love and respect for one another. It's like being in a, in a room full of clocks and that they all strike simultaneously. They, they are all together. They're all synced together. And that's the shared soul being one in spirit and purpose that Paul says we have to have in, in this call to unity in the life of the church. 
In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus reminds us of the incredible power of that kind of unity when he says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Isn't that a powerful and amazing passage of Scripture? Isn't that, isn't that an amazing spiritual thought? That Jesus says, when two or three Christians agree on earth about regarding some spiritual truth, then it is done for them in heaven. And the word for agree there is the Greek word from which we get the English word symphony. And that means that when our hearts and our souls reach deep agreement about God's will, then God says amen from heaven. And when we agree on that, then he says he not only grants that, but he is also in our midst where we are gathered as two or three. Now, the third thing Paul points out to us is that he talked to us in verses 3 and 4 about the results of unity. If unity is so important, and we need to strive to maintain that unity with, with the same mind, the same heart, the same spirit, all of that, then, then what are the results of that unity in the life of the church? Well, listen to what he says in verses 3 through 4. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. I think Paul tells us uh, that there will be two new things taking place in our life and through the life of the church when we experience this wonderful concept of unity by the Holy Spirit of God. First is that there will be a new attitude towards others. See, there will be no more selfish ambition on our part that will cause factions or strife. Uh, it, it, there will be no more competitive spirit that destroys unity by dividing the church into groups and cliques. And he goes on to say there will be no more vain conceit or arrogance and selfishness will be replaced with love. And you see, that's what happens when we are in unity through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That we don't have a, a spirit of, of, of aggression or competition towards somebody else. But we don't have selfish ambition. And that does not lead to factions or strife in the, in the body of Christ, known as the church. Then secondly, he says, there will be new attitude toward yourself. And that will be marked by true humility. The King James Version says the lowliness of mind. And that means you have the proper estimation of yourself and you have no need for self-promotion. History says that someone once asked St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, what is the first mark of true religion? And Augustine said, humility. They asked him, what is the second mark of true religion? And he said, humility. They asked him, what is the third mark of true religion? And Augustine said, humility. A new estimation of ourselves is based upon humility. When Paul calls us to consider others as better than ourselves, he uses a word that means far surpassing. And it means that our pride is replaced by our humility. And so we go back to the premise of what Paul is saying to us in this call to unity. 
And that is that through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives individually and corporately through the life of our church at Spring Valley, whether we meet together or whether we're having to meet virtually, that the Spirit of God produces a unity in our church life that allows us to have the right understanding about who we are, that we don't have to have self-esteem, we don't have to promote ourselves, but we put others first and we do so with a great spirit of humility. And then Paul brings all of this to a conclusion when he writes in verse 5 and he says, your attitude then should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. See, Paul has just urged us in verses 3 through 4 to a humility to deny self-interest for the sake of others. And verse 5 then is a transition from the exhortation of that, establishing or maintaining unity, to the illustration of Jesus Christ as being the perfect illustration of that humility that brings about unity. Because then he goes on in verses 6 and following by saying then this attitude that Christ was, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when Jesus humbled himself and came unified with the Father in spirit and in will, he went to the cross to be our ultimate sacrifice. He humbled himself to that point. But the result of that then is he brings about our salvation and then God exalts him and gives him the name above every name. See, Jesus Christ came himself for the sake of others. He came for you and he came for me. He lived so that others might be united to him and united to one another as the body and believers of Christ. And that's what brings in this wonderful spiritual unity that allows the church to be one in its vision and purpose to reach its community and to make disciples for the glory of God. So what Paul writes to this church he loved is the same thing to us. We must be constantly on our guard to maintain that spirit of unity and to do so with a low self-esteem and a sense of humility that puts others first. May we be willing to accept the challenge to guard the spiritual unity in the life of Spring Valley. Join me as we pray. Father God, we thank you for the challenging words that you give to us, the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his life as an example. But most importantly, we thank you for the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who completely humbled himself, put aside the glories of his position in heaven, and came to earth as God in the flesh, as a human being, to show us what you are like, and then to go to the cross and show us the depths of your love for us. Father, as you and your Son and the Holy Spirit are all united, 
May we, as the church at Spring Valley, experience that unity through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.